Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. The university sector was dramatically hit by the pandemic. Or was it? Yes, we know that international students weren't able to attend and profit was lost in lots of other areas, but was the sector hit by the pandemic as bad as first thought? In May, Sydney University announced a $1 billion surplus, a figure massively beyond the average or even the previous record. So why did this happen? And how does Sydney Uni's record return stack up compared to other Australian universities? David Bond is a senior lecturer in the accounting discipline group at the UTS Business School, and he's been taking a look at these figures. He joins me now to talk about what he's found. David, thanks for joining me once again here on Think Business Futures. Yeah, it's great to be back. Thank you for having me. Now, you've been looking at the financials of universities, figures that give us an understanding of how they may have fared through COVID uh, now being released. In some pretty big news, in May, Sydney University reported a $1 billion surplus. For the previous 20 years, the average surplus for Sydney Uni was $133 million. Now, we'll get to that in a sec, but that is huge news. That's a huge increase, particularly through a pandemic. But to start with, let's talk a bit about how universities make money. What are the main income streams and expenses? Let's start with those income streams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so universities, I mean, a lot of their, their function is around that teaching and research space. And unsurprisingly, that is where they bring in a lot of their revenues. In terms of the three main revenue streams that they have, uh, the first is from the Australian government in terms of Australian government grants. Now, these primarily support research, but you know, there's a range of things which are part of that. The second is through Commonwealth-supported students. So you know, if you came out of high school here and, you know, you're a domestic student, you've, you go to uni, you went in through the HEC scheme or now it's the HELP scheme. That's the second main source of, of revenue. And the third is uh, fees and charges. Now, these relate to a whole range of things, but in the most part, like quite significantly, the most part is in relation to fee paying students. You know, a lot of postgraduate students will be in that boat uh, as well as some uh, undergraduate students, primarily international. So these are, you know, when they're talking about the international um, student market, this is where a lot of that revenue fits in, in terms of university finances. And those three revenue streams account for, in Sydney Uni's case, about 75% of their revenue. That's huge. Can we break down a little bit further the difference between the international student revenue market, the domestic postgrad revenue, and Commonwealth-supported students, how do these sort of stack up in terms of, you know, the proportion of student fees that they make up in, in universities in general? Yeah, no, sort of good, good question. Now, obviously, the university sector is quite broad. There's 40-odd universities in the country. I've been focusing a little bit, one, on Sydney Uni, and then secondly, on the group of eight. But to give you a sense of how that stacks up, for 2021, for the group of eight that have reported, they all have, with the exception of ANU and Adelaide, fees and charges accounted for 
around about five and a half billion dollars worth of revenue, whereas that Commonwealth supported student fees accounted for about 1.5. So it is quite a significant difference between that kind of international market and the fees that are generated from it and the local Commonwealth supported market. Let's go back to Sydney University. As we said, $1 billion profit compared to $133 million on average over the last 20 years. Let's talk about what happened, starting with the increased revenue, and let's begin as we're talking about student fees. What happened here? Because, you know, obviously through a pandemic, restricted travel, all that sort of thing, the perception would be that student fees would just take a massive, massive downfall. So what, what happened in terms of student fees? Yeah, that was a really interesting thing with Sydney Union. I not been from Sydney Union, I wasn't close enough to understand exactly why this had happened, but they saw a massive increase in student fees from 2020 to 2021. They saw a $260 million increase taking their student fees uh, in 2021 to $1.48 billion. It's not a small increase. That's you know over 20% of mm. that increase in fees. From 2019 to 2020, it dropped ever so slightly. So it was still pretty good in 2020. And that's quite different as compared to the rest of the market. So yeah, I mean, that was, it wasn't the only driver of this, this massive surplus that they had, but it was a pretty important one. Is there any indication as to what that's attributed to? Not specifically that I've seen. You see some universities holding a little bit, some have, some have dropped. And whether or not it's that they have taken share from other universities and it's almost a flight to brand. Um, that would be kind of one hypothesis sort of going around. But yeah, I, I can't speak to that so much, unfortunately. Mm. Okay. Let's move on to another one of these income streams. A big one was research grants. Tell us about the government's um, research package that was you know, a, a COVID help for universities. How big was it and how did Sydney University benefit from it? Yep. So there was, as you mentioned, there was a a billion dollar package announced by the government um, to support universities. So there was sort of this one-off special payment across the sector. Um, Now different universities received different amounts of it. Um, In terms of the overall amount that Sydney Uni received in government grants in 2021, in 2021 um, was 800 and $832 million. And that was, again, a pretty sizable increase on 2020. Now, how much of that increase was specifically around that billion dollar package? I mean, obviously a reasonable proportion would be. But the thing to note here is, whilst there was that increase, it is a one-off and we don't know what funding, even though we've had a change in government, we don't know what the funding situation is going forward. Mm. Did Sydney Uni also get things like JobKeeper and and those sorts of things for staff, because we will talk about staff costs in a minute, but the research research grant was on top of that. Were they subject to other benefits from the government through COVID? <laughs> the government, I think, did everything they could to stop it, stop the sector getting JobKeeper. I mean, they I think they had to change the requirements two or three times to make sure that universities were excluded. Um, so in terms of in terms of broader support for the sector, there there effectively was none. Um, right. So yeah. So to to your question, no, it wasn't on top of other things because they they didn't help us in the first instance. Mm, okay. Let's talk about another income stream, which is returns made on investments. 
How much of an impact did these have on the billion-dollar surplus that Sydney Uni saw? Yeah, look, this this had a major impact for Sydney Uni. Um, it was probably the most significant of them, and because of the nature of it, the sustainability of, of these is questionable. So they had uh, an increase. Uh, well, they had $566 million of investment-related revenue, and this was an increase of nearly $500 million as compared to the previous year. So if you think of those two numbers con- t- uh, together, that's obviously a pretty significant um, uptick. So we're talking um, half of the billion-dollar surplus is yeah. attributed to investment returns, that, yes. which is above the previous previous years. Yep. Yeah, uh, the investment, like what happened with investments for Sydney Uni and to a lesser degree other universities was significantly higher than in previous years. And look, part of that was we saw, we did see for those that was paying attention to sort of equity markets, there was a pretty solid sell-off during the start of COVID and then things did bounce back. And so whether or not they were able to actively take advantage of that, that was one part of it. But the other is... There was an education group um, owned by quite a number of the universities, uh, IDP Limited. They received shares for this you know, number of years ago for effectively for a very, very small amount, and they were able to sell that off. That was sold off in 2020. You know, they saw an increase from you know an increase in their returns from that, and it turns out that they actually had some land acquired by Transport for New South Wales and Sydney Water, something like 100 hectares of land which were acquired and they obviously made some money off that sale as well. So none of those things are repeatable. And so you won't see that major kind of effect again. And look, given what's happened in equity markets over the last month or two and potentially what the world is walking into, who knows? I mean, those those returns could be a drag on, on their sort of surplus generation in the year to come. Mm, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about the other side of the balance sheet. What about a decrease in expenses throughout that COVID period for Sydney Uni? What happened? A number of things happened. They started reducing their reliance on externally sourced services. Uh, they don't go into detail as to what these are. Uh, they're not consultants because they actually hold them out separately. Um, but these dropped from $152 million a year in 2019 down to $85 million a year in 2021. They saw expenses in relation to non-current assets drop. So things like depreciation, you know, a few other bits and pieces in there, but those dropped about 15% there or thereabouts from $350 million down to $310 million a year. Interestingly, there was a bit of, and obviously a, a major uh, focus point for a, lot in, for a lot of people in the sector and, and you know, obviously being in the sector myself, like we, we live this. You know, we saw a lot of people leave the sector. I was surprised to see in one sense that employee costs initially increased in the first year of the pandemic. Uh, they actually went up $74 million in 2020, but they did decline in 2021. Um, but, you know, these aren't huge changes. Employee costs are a major line item for universities. Um, so for University of Sydney, their total staff costs in 2021 are in the order of about $1.4 billion. So, you know, it's wow. it's a sizable amount. And to have a decline of $59 million, now there have been staff reductions. But yeah, it's not this 
decimation in terms of you know they've cut 10 or 15 percent of staff costs out of it now mm. we're not relating that to actual numbers of people and people obviously get paid different rates at the university so you know it's had disproportionate impacts on different parts of the university workforce but in terms of the actual dollar cost it didn't come down as much as i suppose i was expecting or you know based on the the rhetoric that you've seen but you know there was a decrease okay if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Think Business Futures here on 2SER 107.3. My name is Stefan Postuma and I'm your host. And I'm joined by David Bond from the UTS Business School. And we're talking about Sydney University and their recent announcement of a $1 billion surplus. Now, I guess the question that I'm interested in trying to get to is you mentioned a lot of these, you know, a lot of these things were one-offs. Have you sort of looked at if we take away extenuating circumstances and one-offs and, you know, I mean, COVID was obviously there, but, you know, regardless of the one-offs, I mean, you can almost scrap 500 million off that $1 billion yep. just because of these huge investment returns that year, but there's still $500 million there compared to the $133 million average over the last 20 years, which is absolutely huge. I mean, have you sort of gotten to the bottom of what really happened and and why we've seen such a huge increase? Because it is so counterintuitive thinking about the university sector and the challenges it faced through the pandemic. Yes, and no, I mean you can you can quite easily strip out the the investment return element of it and the the one off special payments that came through that billion dollar that billion dollar fund, in some sense, you can kind of hold them out, at least from a sector, relatively easily. And look, what's interesting with the sector is, you know, some of these impacts aren't consistent across the universities. And even if you're taking the GO8, like Sydney Uni, um, if we're just looking at fees and charges, and so, I mean, if we're thinking about a lot has been made about the importance of the international student pipeline and what that does, and, you know, with the changing of the mix of revenues and international students being such an important part of the revenue mix for universities, um, especially for the GO8, it's important that you know, I suppose, for them and 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 the health of the sector that these start to you know borders start to open and people start to come again. Sydney Uni had a massively different experience from the universities I've seen. You know, if you look at some of the others, they in most cases saw declines in. 2020 from those in some cases quite you know it's quite significant ones so if you look at uh sort of new south and melbourne they both dropped pretty hard in 2020 and then they kind of held uq and ua they dropped a bit uh uwa i should say they dropped in 2020 and kind of held and this is around their sort of international student market important to note that uwa's international fees is actually quite different and quite a lot lower than the rest of the go8 monash saw a slight uptick in 2020 and then down substantially in 2021 where Sydney saw a slight downturn in 2020, like a very minor one and then a massive upswing. People listening to this can't see the the visuals of it, but if you look at it, it's quite striking how much Sydney uni is different um, mm. in terms of what they've done in their, in their sort of fees and charges element. And they've been doing something different for a while. So I do wonder if it's a sort of a bit of a longer term strategy with Sydney uni that if you take kind of the big four, Sydney Uni, New South, Melbourne and Monash, and you go back to kind of 2017, 
you could kind of throw a bit of a blanket over them in terms of how much they generated from international from the international market. It's in that kind of nine hundred to nine hundred and fifty million dollars a year. But you roll that forward, Sydney Uni have just been on this massive charge, and they've gone from kind of eight hundred ninety to one point four eight billion dollars in fees. New South over that same period of time has gone backwards, whereas Melbourne and Monash have have gone up, but Monash have had a bit of a hit quite lately. So they hit the headline Sydney Uni because it was just such a big figure, like a billion dollars for a university yeah. make in 2020 is so incongruous for what was happening. But in a way, I think they're, if they're a little bit different for some reason as to what that is, it would be really interesting. And, and you know, I suppose part of the work I'm starting to delve into a little bit more with some, with some colleagues on this is to, to unpack some of what's happened here because mm. they are different, it seems. Mm, absolutely. Now, I don't know if this is a fair question or not, right? But maybe <laughs> I'll let you guide me on this. We thought at the beginning of 2020 that universities would be hit hard. Uh, the government started putting you know, all these incentives and grants in place. As you mentioned, through the period, Sydney Uni received $832 million worth of government funding for research. Now, is it a bad comparison for me to look at what the public thought about Harvey Norman through this period as compared to what the public thinks about Sydney Uni through this period? Harvey Norman were criticised for taking government grants when they were recording maximum profits. Sydney Uni did the same thing. Is this a bad equivalence? Is this a fair microscope to put Sydney Uni under? Yeah, look, I'd have to say I don't think it is a fair equivalence. It's not because the JobKeeper sort of system and the way it was set up, like the, the purpose of it was to keep businesses trading or, or keep them supported so that, you know, they could support staff when the lockdowns took place. There were some obviously some design issues, which I'm sure in, if they had their time again, the government of the day would go back and do things slightly differently because you saw businesses that seemed to do quite well out of the pandemic and then also kind of in a way double dip with the JobKeeper grants. The university sector is a little bit different in that the grants and, and that government-supported grant scheme that just happens generally, we'll hold, I'll hold the, the billion dollars sort of additional sort of funding they put in um, out for a moment. I mean, that is, I suppose, part of that kind of social contract of what university is about, and they are there for the public good. Um, and the research and the work that gets done at universities around the country are, are incredibly important. That's what a lot of that government grant funding just on a recurrent basis does. So for them to get you know, a slight top-up, a billion-dollar increase, which is that sort of special payment across 40-odd institutions, um, and they're quite large institutions for the most part, I don't think is all that equivalent to what happened with JobKeeper and, and mm. Apple Harvey Norman. Fair enough. And I think that, I, I think, I guess one of the, um, one of the important things that you mentioned right at the start there was these businesses, you know, Harvey Norman, et cetera, actually did better because of COVID. Um, Sydney University didn't necessarily do better because of COVID. It's, it, it had been on an upward, upward trajectory and anomalous for quite a while, as you mentioned earlier. So let's move on to universities more generally. We, we spoke about the GO8 or the Group of Eight Universities. I think, yeah, we'll just go very, very broad here. 
At the beginning of the pandemic or in that first year, sort of universities were mentioned in the same breath as hospitality and tourism when it came to the impact on them from the pandemic. How, how much has that sort of come to fruition? Do you think that universities have, in general, let's let's leave Sydney University out of this, but um, you know, you've been looking at the performance of others as well. Do you think that they've gotten out of the pandemic a little bit better off than than we predicted at the beginning? Yeah, I mean, early predictions, whether for universities or just things generally, were obviously going to be a bit hit and miss. I mean. I remember some of those early town halls. Um, at least one of them was actually a town hall before it became clear that we shouldn't be meeting all of <laughs> the groups. We just really didn't know what we were facing. Yeah, there, there would have obviously been some major concerns if the border closures meant that students, you know, especially that international group, because if you cut out a third of your revenue pretty much on a dime, like it's going to cause you a problem from a, from a business con- continuity point of view. Um, so there was a lot of work done on that pivot um you know i saw it at our university and it happened across the board and staff worked above and beyond to to make that happen in an incredibly short space of time where i suppose it differs from say hospitality and where it's certainly from tourism is that tourism you need to be physically moving around you can't really have tourism i suppose could have some sort of virtual tourism but really you need to be going to wherever it is that you're going to Um, hospitality, much the same. Universities, that same sort of thing in that, yes, the actual on-campus experience had been substantially degraded or pretty much made negligible because we couldn't get to campus. But that pivot to online meant that students, whether they were domestic students that were kind of stuck in their homes in Australia or their international students that couldn't come on shore, we could support their learning whilst they weren't able to come onto campus. Now, it, for sure, it wasn't the experience that anyone had really signed up for. Um, and there were people that didn't want to go down that track, but it it meant that they could kind of be held on to a little bit more. So it wasn't quite as bad as I think what sort of people uh, were expecting. If you look from 2019, just to, to put it in sense, from 2019, the sort of adjusted GO8, less ANU and Adelaide had... $5.6 billion in fees and charges. In 2020, they had 5.3. There was a 6% drop. Roll that forward into 21, it's come back up to 5.5. So it's a three, three and a half, three point 3.7% increase. So it's not quite got to the rolling increases that we were seeing before in that kind of 10% sort of year on year, 10, 15% year on year growth. But it didn't drop as probably badly as yeah what was expected. And domestic students just kept on, you know, there's probably been a bit of a tail off in 21, but certainly 2020, that stayed pretty consistent, kind of three and a half percent growth in sort of helps fee revenue, just kept on keeping on. Because I think, again, it's not the experience and I'm sort of reflect back onto my kind of undergraduate experience. I can't imagine trying to do that online, Mm, but you've also got to make the best of a bad situation. And there wasn't really a lot else to be doing. So, you know, studying and just getting something done actually and, and hoping it all and hoping like we all thought it would be that, you know, by spring 2020, it'd be okay. And it wasn't. And then by autumn 21, it'd be okay. And it wasn't. Um, but you know, you're hoping that it, things will go back to normal. Absolutely. Let's finish up all sorts of other extraneous factors 
affecting the world now. Have you had a look at any of these? And I guess it's probably worth touching on as we finish as well, what low unemployment means to university places. Yeah, the world, we are certainly living in interesting times, that's for sure. Look, throw in what's happening up in Europe. For the most part, we don't quite know what the international, like if we're thinking about students coming back on shore, I mean, students are returning, the borders are open. That said, students from China don't seem to be coming back in in anywhere near the numbers that they were before. And they were the biggest sort of single country sort of source of students. I mean, that's obviously going to have an impact. So there's a long way to go uh, on that front. I mean, equity markets, if you if you got sort of things in there or super or whatnot, probably just look. I'm not I'm not making I'm not passing on investment advice, um, so I'll leave it at that. But yeah, it's pretty it's pretty tough watching on what's going on there. Look, general economic conditions. Look, we're seeing it. I mean, if you've had to put petrol in your car recently, if you've had to pay for the I don't think our electricity bills come through for winter yet, but I'm not looking forward to when that does. If you've had to go down to the supermarket and, and buy fruit and veg, like things are just getting more expensive. We're seeing inflation start to to really bite. So on one hand, if you're, is it a best use of funds um, to spend on education right at this point in time uh, for those coming again from offshore, Australia's always been an expensive place. Now, does this just make it even more so? And does that cause us a, an even greater problem in terms of that pipeline? In terms of the counter-cyclical sort of part to it, that if there's low unemployment, which there seems to be, now the question's about how is it underutilized? People are employed but underutilized, but there seems to be quite low headline unemployment at this point in time. People may focus on job opportunities and it it may be an opportunity for them to just go, well, um, there's good opportunities job-wise. What I can get for it seems to be pretty reasonable. The need to go and spend three years um, studying doesn't seem to really stack up right at this point in time. I can I can get into get into the market and, and gain some experience and, mm. and some, some money at this point. You know, it's been building for a little bit, but in terms of being really in the public consciousness, like <laughs> there's potentially a problem as the RBA. I think they, it was this week. So Tuesday that they put rates up again, the people are really starting to that almost that little kind of fear factor starts to creep in as to what's going on sort of economically. But if there are jobs out there, um, maybe we sort of get into them and, and hold them to deal with those issues. So maybe the maybe universities will start to see a decline in sort of domestic students looking to to, to come in. Mm. Definitely interesting times. Um, yeah, this Sydney University billion-dollar surplus is a fascinating case study. And, yeah, it's just very interesting to be able to get a bit of a perspective as to how universities have sort of come through the pandemic. That's all we've got time for. But, David, thank you so much for joining me here on Think Business Futures once again. Oh, it's great to be here and thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guest, David Bond. You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week. And please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.